0: I truly appreciated the message that Brother Tim brought to our attention this morning. Um, I'm thankful that uh, we have a throne of grace that we can approach daily. Our Lord's in heaven, but during the time of this Canaanite woman, her throne of grace was right there in front of her. She came to the throne of grace to obtain mercy, and she found it. She came to the throne of grace right there to get grace, and she got it. And this woman displayed greater faith in Jesus found in all the Jewish people in his ministry. Uh, I'd like to begin this morning from Genesis 49. Um, last three Sundays we've been in the Song of Solomon. We're going to take a break from the Song of Solomon this morning. I'd like to go to Genesis chapter 49, verse 22. We find here where these are the last days of Jacob. Jacob has just a short time left in this world, and so one of the last things he does is gather his sons before him. And he delivers a message to each one of these sons as to what their future is going to be. And he comes to Joseph. He says, Joseph is a fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over the wall. Now, Joseph lived a fruitful life. He's one of the most outstanding types of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. We find where Pharaoh gave him a name. Joseph is his Hebrew name. Pharaoh gave him a name, Zapnataros, of words of that effect. I won't try to pronounce that a second time. Anyway, it literally means to add to. He gave him that name because of the wisdom he saw in Joseph. He gave him that name because Joseph's life was fruitful. And he put Joseph in charge over all the kingdom that time in ter- when they were having the famine of seven years. He put him in charge to manage everything. We find the Lord Jesus Christ is the most fruitful individual who's ever lived in this world. Jesus said in John six thirty seven 37-39, All the Father giveth me shall come to me. Not some of them, but all of them. And he that come to me I'll in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will. All he hath given me, I shall lose nothing. But raise up again at the last day. Jesus lost nothing. All the Father gave to him, he said, shall come to him, and they will. In regeneration, and he will not lose a single one. We're preserved in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph is a picture and type of the Savior. He said, Joseph is a fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over the wall showing the, how excessive his fruitfulness was. You know, when you get a lot of grain, things grow at an accelerated pace, right? Like your grass or even uh, your bushes around the house. One day you walk out they look good. The next day you walk out and you've got to go get the You've Been getting a lot of rain. So his branches run over the wall. But he says the archers shot at him. The archers hated him. Then when you look at the life of Joseph, you find those archers in the beginning was his own brethren. His brethren shot the arrows of hatred, the arrows of envy. His brothers in the flesh shot arrows of criticism at him. They didn't like what he said. He had two dreams that God gave him that would come to pass and be fulfilled, but his brothers didn't like it because it showed one day that they would bow down to him. They didn't like the fact that their father gave him, Joseph, a coat of many colors. He didn't give that coat to any of the rest of them, but he gave it to Joseph. He was a son of his old age. They, did, they didn't like that. So they shot the arrows of criticism, the arrows of envy, the arrows of hatred at Joseph. But the Lord was with Joseph. That's a very important phrase that you read in the early life of Joseph when he's down there in the land of Egypt. They stripped his coat of many colors away from him. They put him into a pit. They sold him to the Ishmaelites and down to Egypt he went. But we notice here that the bow of David was strong. And it said the arms of his hands were made strong by the mighty God of Jacob. Throughout history, brethren, our strength has never been in ourselves. That's why Paul said in Philippians 4.13, we can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth us. The Apostle Paul said, when I'm weak, then am I strong. Paul had a thorn in his side. He prayed three times that the Lord might take it away, but the Lord did not answer his prayer like he asked for it to be so. But he did tell Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Whatever thorn may be in your flesh, the grace of God is sufficient for you. Whatever you're going through in life, you may feel to be so weak, but God can be your strength. God is your courage when you are afraid. God is your strength when you see your weakness. And then the Lord told Paul, he said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. That's when you're going to see the perfection of my strength is when you see how weak that you really are. So we see that the Lord strengthened Joseph he says, The arms of his hand were strengthened by the mighty God of Jacob. Hence, he is the shepherd and stone of Israel. We see he was the shepherd of Israel as God providentially sent Joseph down ahead of his brethren, because God knew there's going to be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And God providentially elevated Joseph to where he was out of. First of all, he was sold to Potiphar, and then Potiphar's wife shot the arrow of deceit, the arrow of lies against him. And he wound up going to prison. And while he was in prison, the Lord was with him and elevated him to be in charge of all the keepers there. He was the keeper of all the prisoners there in the prison. And then Pharaoh had the dream, and Joseph is going to reveal the dream to him, and he's going to elevate Joseph to be in second command. He's going to manage the kingdom, he's going to be the shepherd. He's going to nourish his father. He's going to nourish his brother. He's going to nourish his father's household. We're told that twice in Genesis 45 and 47. That's exactly what he did. But he henceforth is not only called the shepherd of Israel, he's called the stone. The stone he would be would be to support his family. Someone they could rely on, someone they could depend upon. Joseph took care of them all the way. And then Joseph told them in the end, in Genesis chapter 50, he says, surely God will visit you and bring you out of this land. That didn't happen for many, many, many years after that. But it did come to pass like Joseph said. And he said, when he visits you and takes you out of this country, he says, you take my bones out of here. And when Joseph died... He was buried, but later on, when Moses goes down and leads Israel out of the land of Egypt, he gets the bones of Joseph and takes him out of the land of Egypt because he didn't belong there. Came to pass just like he said it would. Now let's think about him being referred to here as the stone of Israel. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 28, and verse 16, the Lord speaking through this prophet said, I will lay in Zion a stone for a foundation. And we notice a stone's going to be laid for a foundation. And notice where it's going to be laid. It's going to be laid in Zion. Now last Sunday, I tried to emphasize unto you what Zion meant. Zion literally was a stronghold right there next to Jerusalem, one of the hills and mountains of Jerusalem. Later on, Zion and Jerusalem became one and the same. At the age of 30, David becomes the king of Israel. He will reign for 40 years. But the first thing he does after being anointed king of Israel at the age of 30, he goes to the stronghold occupied by the Jebusites and he defeats them and takes that stronghold and became known as the city of David, Mount Zion. Mount Zion was literally a mountain, but it's a picture of the Lord's gospel church today. The Lord's church, not the churches of men, but the Lord's church. You're in Zion today, if I'm not deceit and mistaken. I firmly believe that. So he says, I'm going to lay in Zion a stone, a foundation, a tried stone for a sure foundation. This stone here will be described by the Apostle Peter with other words. We'll find the next reference, and we'll go back to that, Lord willing, in a moment. Found in Psalms 118, Verse 22. And the Lord here says, The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the headstone of the corner. Now follow this with me through this, please. The stone which the builders rejected. Now, Israel was used to stones. Stones were used for many different reasons, but they were used to erect buildings. Solomon's temple had many, many stones in it. He says, The stone which the builders rejected, is become the headstone of the corner. Now he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ here. He says, the Lord is doing. This is the day the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Every now and then I'll mention that verse just to show appreciation for God allowing me to have another day of life. Do you know that? I'm here today because God's allowed me to have another day of life. The Apostle Paul said, having obtained help of God, I continue to this day. That just sums it up. That's what Paul said. That's what you can say. That's what I can say. That's what we should say, having obtained help of God. If God has not been your helper throughout your earthly journey, would you be here today? Would you still be living? Would you be here today if God had not been your helper all along life's pathway? No matter how old you are this morning, no matter how many days you spent upon the face of this earth, I'm telling you it's because God has been your helper And we need to recognize that and not overlook it. So many of God's blessings get overlooked. When things go well for a while, it's it's like we don't stop and think they're going well because God is blessing us. But we have a tendency to think about the negative things, a tendency to think about the things that have not gone right, and we focus on that, forgetting about if God hadn't been with us, we'd have a lot more of those days than we have, right? A lot more of those days than what we have. You know, it's like uh, the old saying is a dog needs a few fleas to remind him he's a dog. Right? <laughs> so we need a few trials along the way to realize that how weak we are and who we are and who God is and, and the might and strength we have in God. So the stone which the builders reject who are the builders? It's the Jewish leaders when Christ came into this world, it was the chief priests and the scribes and the elders they rejected this stone that came among them. Jesus asked them this question in Matthew chapter 21. about verse 40, 41. He said, Have you never read the stone which the builders rejected to become the headstone of the corner? He's quoting Psalms 118. Now imagine they had read it. Maybe they hadn't. But if if they did read it, they forgot to consider it. They forgot to meditate on it. They forgot to think about it. They forgot to ask for understanding of it. So even if they read it, if they never considered it, it would be just like they never had read it. Have you not read this verse right here? He just gives them the scripture. Psalms 118 verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the headstone of the corner. Now we come to the book of First Peter chapter 2 in verse 5. He says, now unto him that's come unto you as a living stone. Now you go back to Isaiah 28, 16. He says, I lay in Zion a stone. He just calls it a stone here for a foundation. But he says it's a tried stone. Peter calls it a living stone. Now I don't normally think about a stone having life. Do you? Uh, A stone or rock or something like that, you don't normally think about it having life. But the stone's under consideration here is a living stone because it's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a living stone, living because he arose from the dead. Yes, Jesus died, he laid down his life, put into a barred tomb, laid there for three days and three nights. But he told his disciples, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it again. Revelation 1 and 18, the Lord Jesus Christ said, I he that liveth, I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I like the evermore there, don't you? I'm he that liveth. I'm living right now. I was dead. That's a fact. And that's a glorious fact. That's an essential fact of Christian doctrine. That's why the communion is so vital, so important, because in the communion, we do celebrate and observe the Lord's death till he come. The Lord did not be willing to die for us. We'd spend eternity separated from God in a devil's hell. But through his death of representation, through his burial, through his resurrection, we have a hope in our heart when we pass this scene of life that our soul and spirit takes an upward flight and goes right into a place, a real place, a literal place called heaven. And our body remains here to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when he shall speak and the body will hear and the body shall be resurrected and be reunited with the soul and the spirit and will be with God forever and forevermore. All comes down to the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. What he experienced here. I'm he that liveth, was there, behold, I'm alive forevermore. So Peter calls him a living stone. He said, this living stone was chosen of God, rejected by men, and precious. This is a chosen stone. It's a living stone. It's a chosen stone. Who chose the stone? <laughs> Isaiah 42 and 1 said, Behold my servant, whom my delight, behold, my elect, in whom my soul delighteth. Jesus Christ was the elect of God in this sense. Here, God chose His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come into this world at a certain time, in a certain place, in a certain manner, in a certain way, and He fulfilled every verse of Scripture of the Old Testament concerning that. He was chosen of God, and He was precious. You cannot read the life of Jesus Christ and his connection with heaven and the Father without coming to that conclusion that it is precious in the sight of the Father. When Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary, God sent an angel down there to tell her all about it. When John the Baptist conceived in the womb of Elizabeth, God sent an angel down there to tell him all about it. I want you to notice how the angel, which is named, we're told who it was, it's Gabriel, what he said unto Zechariah. He said, I stand, I'm Gabriel, the angel that stands in the presence of God and have been sent to bring you these good tidings and glad, glad tidings. Here's an angel that says, I'm in the throne room of God. I'm right there with God. I'm right there with God at the throne of God and God sent me on a mission. God sent me on a trip. God sent me from heaven all the way down here. I don't know how long it took him, but I doubt it took long. And he comes all the way from heaven to the earth, right from the throne room of God. The same angel comes to Joseph. The same angel comes to Mary. After Jesus is born, God sends the stars to some wise men in the east and providentially directs them to where the young child is. They said, where is he that's born king of the Jews that we may come and worship him? He stirred up those shepherds watching their flocks by night there on the hillsides of Bethlehem. You don't think he was precious in the sight of the Father? God's blessed Karen and I with four children. And they're all precious in our sight. The Son was precious in the sight of the Father. He sent a, a chorus of angels that came and they sang in the heavens at the birth of his Son. He was precious. When Jesus was baptized, heaven opened and Father's voice boomed out saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. On the mountain of transfiguration, when he went on top of that mountain in Matthew 17, you'll find he takes Peter, James, and John with him. And he's transfigured between Moses and Elias of the Old Testament days. The law and the prophets are represented there with the Savior. You know, Luke 16, 16 says, for the law and the prophets were unto John. Since that time, the heaven of God, the kingdom of heaven is preached. And and every man presseth into it. you got the law and the prophets represented by Moses and Elijah. And we find where Peter speaks and says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let us build three tabernacles. Peter, Peter, Peter. You don't always have to say something. <laughs> you know, it's not it, it isn't something where some people just feel like something's got to be said and if nobody else is saying it, I will. <laughs> well, Peter speaks. It's good for us to be here. Yes, Peter, stop there. Let's build three tabernacles. No, no. Uh, We're not going to build three tabernacles. The voice of God rings out saying, This is my beloved son, hear ye him. You're not here to honor Moses. You're not here to honor Elijah. You're here to honor my son. And you hear my son. The father says, I'm well pleased with him. He was precious inside the father, but he was disallowed of men. The builders rejected this stone. This stone that the Lord said, I'll lay it Zion for a foundation. It's a tried stone. It would be tried. The Lord Jesus Christ would be tried. He'd be tried by men here in this world. He'd be tried by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Would he make it all the way to Calvary? And you know, when our children played sports, I told them again, if you sign up to play Little League Baseball, don't come to me three weeks later and say, I want to quit. You're not quitting. You may not play year number two, but you're going to play all year number one. We're not going to have any quitters in our family. You know, it may not be what you thought it was, but if you sign up to play, you're going to be committed. You're going to play this season. You want to play next season, that's fine, but you're not going to quit this one. The Lord Jesus Christ is sent from heaven when he was just a little baby, Herod had put out a decree that all the children in Bethlehem from two years old and under were to be slain in an effort to slay him. But I read in the book of Isaiah where the Lord said, he said, I, I set my face like a flint. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ had a mission. The Lord Jesus Christ came to do the Father's will. Would he get all the way to Calvary? Would Herod stop him? No, he would not. When the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they they tried their very best. They conspired to take his life. But the Lord Jesus Christ, several times in John's Gospel, we are told, the Lord said, for his time had not yet come. Would he make it all the way to Calvary? This is a tried stone. Would he make it all the way to Golgotha's hill? Would he make it all the way to the cross? Thank God, yes. The answer is yes. He would make it all the way. When he goes to the garden of Gethsemane with his disciples, says he went about a stone's cast away from them. And one writer says he went a little further. How, how much was a little further? I don't know. I just know one thing, he went further than those disciples could go. And he went as far as he needed to go. I'm so thankful to tell you about a Lord who can go a little further. When you think you've done all you can do and you call upon the Lord and you hold on to the Lord, he can get you across the finish line. Is he going to make it to the end? Is he going to make it to Calvary? Yes, he is. Yes, he did. I believe he was tried. He'd be a tried stone from the standpoint of what the Father sent him to accomplish. The Father put the salvation of his elect family in the hands of the Savior. Jesus came in this world to save his people from their sins. He would have to face, yes, the onslaught of criticism. He'd have to face the opposition of the Jewish leaders of that day. He'd be a rejected stone. He'd be a disallowed stone. They, would, uh, they wanted no part with him, but the Lord Jesus Christ went to do not his will, but the will of the Father that sent him. Notice what he said again in John 6, 38 and 39. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. That, that doesn't mean he had a will separate from the Father. He's really telling you the opposite. My will and the Father's will are one and the same. They're one and the same. We're united. 1 John 5, 7, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. That's why such a heavy emphasis is placed in the scripture for families to be together and for a church to be together and how we're to labor diligently, daily, every day in our lives to have peace and harmony and unity in in the house of God. Psalms 133 verse 1 says, How pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. And I'll say the opposite is true. How unpleasant it is when it's obvious that unity is not there. I thank God for the unity of this church. I thank God for the peace of this church and the harmony of this church. But don't take it for granted, please. Let us always esteem one another higher than ourselves. Let us always realize that our brother and sister should be given greater consideration than our own selves. And I could just sidetrack here and just dwell the rest of the morning on that. (laughs) So it's something to be thankful for, to labor for, to pray for to follow God's word for. Paul told the Corinthians that God's not the author of confusion, but the author of peace, as in all the churches. that in all the churches that had peace, God was the author of it. See, God's given us instructions here to take care of everything we'll ever face in life. God's given us instructions here to take care of us as individuals, as families, and at His church right here in this world. The Lord Jesus Christ was not just a stone. The Lord Jesus Christ uh, was a living stone. The Lord Jesus Christ is a precious stone. The Lord Jesus Christ is a tried stone. He said, I'm going to lay in Zion a stone for a foundation. Zion needs a foundation, and I'm going to lay the stone that's going to be the foundation there in Zion. And it's going to be a tried stone, and it's going to be it's going to accomplish what I sent it to be. It's going to be a sure foundation. The foundation I'm talking about is a sure foundation. When you pour a foundation, as soon as you pour it, you've determined three things about the building that's going on top of it. You've determined the size of it. You've determined the shape of it. And you've determined the strength of it. Now, if you do a poor job about that, don't pour it as thick as you ought to pour it in one thing or another, and you you know you're just not a good good uh, cement pour, whatever the case may be, uh, then the foundation might crack. But I'm telling you, for 2,000 years, this foundation is just as solid right now as it was when it was laid inside in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the day the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The, the psalmist had reference there to the day in the life of Christ. I don't mind using it from time to time just to remind me that the day I'm facing here once again is is a day that God indeed has made this day. But the context there in Psalms 118 has to do with the life of Christ. The times of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter picks it up over here. Coming unto you as a living stone. Disallowed indeed of men, but chosen God and precious. And therefore, he says, ye are Lively stones. Why are you a lively stone? Because Jesus is the living stone. And we get our life from Jesus, right? Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except by me. We are lively stones. Being lively means we have life in us. We're lively stones because Jesus Christ is the living stone. As lively stones, and what are we to do? We're to offer spiritual sacrifices unto God wholly acceptable in His sight. Now remember, a sacrifice in the Old Testament day, when it was made, it would either be accepted or it would be rejected. If it was made according to divine specifications, divine standards, God would accept it. But if it was not, God would reject it. So the same thing today, and you might say, "Well, brother Lawrence, we're not in the Old Testament day, right? I didn't see anybody bringing a a, a lamb to church today. I didn't see anybody bringing turtle doves to church today. You're right. Uh, you didn't see anybody bringing those things here today because we're not under Moses' law. We're in the gospel dispensation. So what kind of sacrifices are we to make? Let's go to Romans twelve one. And Paul said, "I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, those mercies plural." I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God which is your reasonable service. Does anybody here this morning think it's unreasonable for God to ask you to come here and do this? Or did you look at that as a delight? As a joy? As an opportunity? To come here and meet with your brothers and sisters in Christ, in God's house, and to honor Him. I beseech you. That word beseech means to beg and to plead. Paul loved the Lord's people. He wanted to see them do the right thing. He said, I beseech you therefore, brother, by what? By the mercies of God. Whenever you're tempted by the devil to roll over, (laughs) I never did want to be identified with rollover Baptist. Never have wanted to be identified with rollover Baptist. You know who they are, right? They wake up and they just roll over and say, well, I'm too tired today. I've been to church three Sundays in a row. I, I got a pretty good record going. <laughs> and you roll over. I will be in time to wake up for the Bucks game, though, or the Titans game. I'll be sure to get up for that. But right now, I'm just going to roll over. I don't want to be identified with a rollover Baptist. I beseech you therefore, <laughs> therefore brethren, by the mercies of God. And he's saying, think about God's mercies. Before time ever began, God chose you in Christ. Gave you to his son. And according to the ninth chapter of the book of Romans, he chose you in Jesus Christ and you are known as vessels of mercy. When Jesus Christ hung upon the cross, Psalms 85 and verse 10 says, For righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Mercy and truth have met together. Yes, God saved you According to the legal requirements that God required as a righteous, holy God, but mercy was involved. Mercy and truth meant where? They met in Jesus Christ. Righteous and peace kissed each other new. They kissed in Jesus Christ. Think about that. In Titus 3 and 5, not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to his mercy as saved us by the washing, regeneration, and renewing of the Holy Ghost. When God borns you the Spirit of God, when God came and quickened you in divine life, when your mind was a thousand miles away from God, had no desire to worship God, no desire to love God or call upon the name of God, and then all of a sudden one day your soul has been turned upside down, and you don't understand why. But you've had an experience of grace, and God bestowed his grace upon you, brother, because of his mercy. Not because of something you des- deserve, mercy. What about Jacob? Genesis 32 and 10, he says to the Lord, he says, I'm not worthy of all the mercies and the truth that thou hast shown thy servant. I I like to get both parts of that. I'm not worthy of all the mercies. If anybody ever understood something about the mercy of God, he had to be Jacob. He was a deceiver. He was a supplanter. He deceived his father. He lied to his father. He took the blessing designed for his older brother, Esau. But yet, God, my friends, loved Jacob and manifested his love to him when he was fleeing from Esau. And he laid down in the wilderness with his head on a rock for a pillar. And heaven opened up, my friends, in a vision. And a ladder came down from heaven to this earth. And angels went up and down that ladder. And the Lord revealed himself to Jacob. And he told him that he's the God of Isaac, the God of Abraham. And the land he was laying on right there would be for his possession, for the possession of his seed. Oh, he was merciful to him. And Jacob says, I'm not worthy. The woman that Brother Tim talked about this morning, she said, have mercy upon me. And uh, you know, I, I've thought about it oftentimes, and Tim made the point. She, You would have thought she might have said, have mercy on my daughter. But that's, that's why she came there, for the Lord to, to heal her, if it be his will. But her heart was broken. Her heart was sad to see such a loved one in such a condition as that. And say when the Lord blesses our loved ones to recover, it's like he's having mercy on you and mercy on me, you see. And Jacob had that mercy. Peter says, this is a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but precious in the sight of God. But he also says, this stone here, uh, that living stone that we now are lively stones to offer up spiritual sacrifices unto God. And Romans 12, 1 is the first one. But we come over to the book of Hebrews chapter 13, about verse 15, he says, Wherefore by him we offer the sacrifices of praise. That's what you did in the singing this morning, brother. That was a sacrifice in the house of God. The first sacrifice you made this morning was getting out of bed and getting here to the house of God and filling your seat here to worship God collectively as a band of baptized believers. That's the first sacrifice. Now, the second sacrifice in the New Testament day is the lips of praise. That is the fruit of your lips, giving praise unto his name. And he goes on to say, and to communicate, forget not. With such sacrifices, God is well pleased. The word communicate means to share. That's the third sacrifice. We'd be sharing people. (laughs) We'd be sharing people. Share what God has, has given us with other people. You know, he says, that's a, that's a sacrifice God's well pleased with. A fourth sacrifice is found in Philippians 4 and 18. And in the context here, you'll find where Paul writes to this church at Philippi, a church he loves so dearly. He says, and you know, uh, in the beginning, no church gave unto me concerning giving and receiving only, but you, you're the only ones that kept thinking about me. Everybody else forgot about him, but not the church at Philippi. And he says, uh, uh, "What you sent unto me?" He says, uh, I, 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 I'm, "He said I'm full." But he says, "I received a gift from Ephroditus that was sent from you." He said, "Not because I desired fruit, but I de- uh, a, a gift, but I desired fruit for your account." And the gift I received in his hands, he says, "Is a sweet smelling silver and a sacrifice well acceptable in the sight of God." In other words, that was a gift from the church, the church. Send a gift to the Apostle Paul when everybody else forgot about him. Another sacrifice. When you put your contribution in in the plate. See, that's a sacrifice. That's a spiritual sacrifice. When we make a decision to try to help somebody and send them a, a financial gift. That's a spiritual sacrifice. So you are a spiritual priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices wholly acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service. He says you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. And he also up above that says you're a holy priest. Now you're both a holy priest and also a royal priest. Now, see in the Old Testament day they had a priesthood. We don't have a priesthood like they had. We are the priesthood. See, they had a priesthood. We are the priesthood in the New Testament day. Look at me in the book of Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 says the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten from the dead. He says, who hath loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood hath made us kings and priests unto God. There's a sense in which you are a king and a priest. You're a king because the spirit of the king dwells in your heart. The Lord Jesus Christ is right in here. He's king of kings and Lord of lords, you see. He's made you a king in that regard has he made you a king. He's also made you a priest. A priest represented the people to God. A priest was the offer of sacrifices. In the Old Testament day, you had the priesthood of the tribe of Levi and you had priests and you had a high priest and the priest went into the tabernacle, the holy place, but only the high priest could go into the holiest of the holies. But guess what? Today as a priest, you have access right into the throne room of glory yourself. And we go through one man, and Peter Paul said that man is Jesus Christ. We have one meeting between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Because he's the living stone. We're lively stones. because we're lively stones, we're built up a spiritual house to offer spiritual sacrifices unto God. The Lord's house is a spiritual house. It's not to be a house uh, with carnal entertainment, a house with uh, carnal activities, a house with worldly activities in it. We are a spiritual house to offer up spiritual sacrifices as lively stones to bring honor and praise to the Lord. The Lord's people should gather together to sing hymns of praise and adoration, should gather together to be led in prayer to the throne of grace and to hear the proclamation, the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about, you see. And so that's why we don't want anything different. We don't want anything new. We're happy how have the Lord set up the church, how he set up the house of God. He set it up to honor and praise and glorify his wonderful and precious name. And then he says, unto the Jewish people, he was a stumbling block, a stumbling stone. A stumbling stone. They stumbled at his birth they stumbled at the town he was raised in. He was born of poor parents. He, he was raised up in the city of Nazareth, a, a city that was looked down upon by the Jewish people of that day. When he came riding in as their king, he didn't ride in on some great horse. He'd come riding in upon an ass, the cold, the foal of an ass. They stumbled at that. How could it be our king that Isaiah spoke about and come riding in in such a manner as this? but it was in keeping with his humility, it was in keeping with uh, the character of the Lord Jesus Christ in this world that they stumbled at it. They stumbled at it. Everything about his life, they stumbled at it because they were looking for something different. He was a stumbling stone. But then he says, as this stone, as this living stone, as this tried stone, as this sure foundation, as this stone that's precious in the sight of the Father, he says, Unto him that believeth, he is precious. We've already established the fact that he's precious in the sight of the Father, but is he precious in your sight today? I hope so. <laughs> I hope he's precious in your sight. He's, he, I hope he's precious in my sight. When I, when, I, when I take a look at my life to think that he would love somebody like me, he becomes precious. When I see how he has guided me down through the journey of time, how he's delivered me time and time again, how he's uh, uh, blessed me to accomplish whatever that might be in life, I tell you, when Karen and I got married, (laughs) uh, she was in high school, I was in college, and we had to make every penny count. (laughs) I never dreamed uh, we'd live in as nice a house as we live in. I never dreamed that we'd drive as nice a car as God's blessed us to drive. I never dreamed we'd get our four children all the way through college uh, with college degrees. I didn't dream, my friends, uh, I'd be uh, in a place like this, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I look back and see how God has delivered me and blessed me and guided me and directed me and held me up, I'm telling you, uh, He's just precious in my sight. What about you this morning? (laughs) is he precious in you saying when I think about my savior that was willing to suffer how he was humiliated how they took a put a crown of thorns on his head how they put a reed in his hand how they bowed before him and mocked him hailing king of the Jews when I see how the Lord was reviled and reviled not again when I see the Lord going to Gethsemane and pouring his heart out there and saying, Father, for be thy will let this cup pass, but if not then thy will be done. He went further than the disciples went. He did more than any man could ever do. He did more my friends uh, than all they let combined together could ever do. And he put away my sins by the sacrifice of himself. He died for me. He just actually died for me. I believe that with all my heart. I know the Bible teaches he died for his children, he died for the church, he died for his family, he died for the elect family of God. But I firmly believe in my heart, especially right now, <laughs> that I am one of those he died for. That's why Paul said I frustrate not the grace of God. He says, uh, for uh, he, he he believed he loved him and died for him. I want you to see this thing to be so personal this morning individual and personal. God loved you individually. He loved you personally. He died for you on the cross. Know whom he died for. And he paid your debt to a jot into a tittle. And now when Satan attempts to accuse the brother before the Savior, he doesn't have a leg to stand on. He did not have a leg to stand on. There's not one sin that God's going to ask you to pay. If he did, you couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. The Lord didn't come to make a down payment on salvation. The Lord came to put put the debt away for good. He didn't come and make salvation installment process. How'd we get along? if We didn't have the installments. It's right? right. How'd we get along if uh, if we were not allowed to have a little time to pay these things off? But well, I'm telling you, when the Lord said it is finished, He meant it is finished. The debt is paid. He's not going to try to collect it twice. The debt is paid. Therefore, when I see the precious Savior like this, he's precious in my sight. We got a couple other verses that we'd like to go to, but seeing the old clock works against me. I guess I won't try to do football time today. We'll just close it out right here, okay? (laughs) He was precious in the sight of the Father. I hope he's precious in your sight, and if he is, it will motivate you to serve him to the best of your God-given ability. And every time Satan tries to throw something in your pathway, you just kick it out of the way. And you just keep on going. And you just say to the devil, get thee behind me. The Lord's been too good to me to listen to you. And when Sunday morning comes, I'm going to be in the house of God. If my Lord can endure what he endured for me, I can endure whatever may stand before me and being in God's house and worshiping my family my brothers and my sisters in Jesus Christ I, I can do it I'm going to be there and i can tell you this with a clear conscience this morning I've been going to church for 72 years shouldn't have told that but I mean I shouldn't have told my age I mean but anyway <laughs> um, somebody told me the other day he said brother Lawrence you you always say you're in the young category but I saw today that you that you uh, come up with something new to give you a little more a little more leeway. And I said, what's that? Well, I described what the word well-stricken in age means. Do you know what that means? When God said unto Abraham and Sarah and to Joshua and to Zechariah, they were old and well-stricken in years. You know what the expression well-stricken in years means? It means they're old-old. <laughs> it means they got to be old and now they've gotten really old. <laughs> and so... Uh, You know, it gives you some leeway there. Anyway, wherever that was at, we're going to close it out this morning and give you an opportunity. Anyone that'd like to become part of this church here, if you, you don't, I don't know why, give you that opportunity as we sing this hymn, you just come on down and we'll take care of it.